many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Bonjour, superhumans. It's Boomer Anderson here, bringing you another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. As always, the purpose of this podcast is to chart a course in health. We go all the way out to the fringes and back to the mainstream, giving you bite-sized pieces of scientifically validated, actionable information provided by experts so that you can go out and live a higher-performing life. My guest today is Timu Arina. Timu has a professional career of over 18-plus years as a technologist, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. Timu is chief biohacker and chairman of the board at the Biohacker Center located in Helsinki, Finland. The Biohacker Center is a research center for digital health and wellness. They've also published the Biohackers Handbook series, aired the Biohackers podcast, and organized the International Biohackers Summit Conference, which I went to last year in Helsinki, Finland. Timu Arina is one of the co-authors of that Biohackers Handbook, which focuses on optimizing health and well-being with technology and biology. And so far, the nutrition, exercise, and sleep chapters have been well worth the purchase price, and I recommend it to everyone. Timu was also recently selected as Speaker of the Year by Speakers Forum, which is an organization for Nordic countries. I originally met Timu at the Biohacker Summit in Helsinki. His background story about how he got into biohacking is absolutely fascinating. The topic today was originally supposed to be workplace environment and how to biohack it, but we got into oh so much more. Timu talked about how biohacking is both an art and a science. We got into the value of quantified self-devices. And really, I got to pick Timu's brain on his favorite tools for hacking cognition as well as presence. And finally, we actually did get into biohacking the workplace. We talked about air, ergonomics, light, and stress. The show notes for this one can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com backslash Timu. That's T-E-E-M-U. I hope you enjoy my podcast with Mr. Timu Arina. Mr. Timu Arina, welcome to the show. Thank you. So it's a pleasure. No, I know today's topic is going to be really about how to biohack your workplace for higher performance, but I wanted to get started with just an introduction of you because you play such a prominent role in the biohacking world and you're involved in a lot. So if I look at your resume, you're a serial entrepreneur, you're involved in the Biohackers Center in Finland, the Biohackers Summit, which is a great conference, by the way, and I just want to give the audience a sense of what you're doing with the Biohacker Center there in Helsinki. Yeah, so Biohacker Center is a research center and think tank for optimal human performance. It was founded originally to publish our upcoming book, The Biohacker's Handbook, in 2015. But it also took along uh, the Biohacker Summit uh, conference that has been organized since 2014, which is the largest optimal human performance conference in Europe. Biohacker Center is also providing advisory for the companies in the industry who are building next generation wearables or digital health products or, or food, smart food and nutrition products. And so we've been doing, doing also some, some advisory for uh, product developers. But our main, main business really is that we are taking evidence-based content, mainly meta-studies that have been published in the last few years. We basically do a summary of, of things that 
have the highest efficacy of doing anything. I mean, it, when it comes to work, how do you optimize your working environment? How do you balance your blood sugar values so that you can keep focused? What are the nutritional interventions to make sure that you stay healthy? How do you bounce back from a stressful life, basically, and uh, recover uh, in a maximal manner? That may be sleep or meditation or exercise even. And then we look at the methods and tools and interventions that really kind of can make a difference. And then we look at the ways to measure and figure out what is the 20% that will result in 80% of improvement in your case. And that's kind of the basic approach we take into everything that we do. So so we take what's kind of understood right now by researchers and leading practitioners. And then we then we look at the basically the methods that are have the biggest uh, impact and then we figure out like the tools that you can use to find the optimal tools in your case because we are all different we are all individuals based on our genetics and epigenetics and life situations and medical history and all that so what works for you might not work for me you touched on so many points there that just resonate very well with me resonate very well with this audience you know complex complex system science the individuality of health etc cetera, etc cetera. but i want to go into your background because you have a particularly interesting backstory about how you got into biohacking do you mind just touching on that a little bit if you don't mind sharing the story yeah absolutely so i've been a serial technology entrepreneur since i was 16 and i'm 35 now so I've been an entrepreneur over half of my life. And in doing so, I've been, I've been interested in optimal performance for quite some time. But I was focusing very much into my tools, the way how I use technologies, computers, methods, and, and so on. Basically, what's outside of me and how I interact with that world, how I solve problems. And I was optimizing the way how I work and how I learn and all that. But doing that... I discovered that health is also a key component and taking care of your temple, your body, is super important if you want to really perform ultimately. So while I founded my uh, second startup company and I was doing consultation and speaking engagements, 100 a year, several consultation projects simultaneously while building a startup, I was sleeping maybe four hours a night. I was really like putting the hours in. I, I thought I was like uh, living the life of, uh, I mean, I was living my dream life. I was doing what I like and uh, I was I was thinking I was kicking ass. What I guess clouded me was when it comes to stress, I kind of never really feel too much pressure, even if things go hectic. So I just put hours in, I just, I just kept on working. I thought I'm somehow more resilient than others. But I guess once you turn... 30 years old, uh, you get old. So I got an ulcer. So I got an inflammatory disease that was stress-related. So my body was giving up. And that was a consequence of working too much and not recovering enough. And I got some medication for it that took the pain away and uh, was supposed to help in the healing process. But it didn't really do much else than it took the pain away. Uh, my fatigue levels were still there and a general sense of uncomfortableness. So I did what many other people would do probably in a situation like this. I started studying my own condition, like what else can I do in, in addition to taking some medication and so on, because it, the thing was turning chronic. 
it was nine months in. So I did what I do best, which is systems thinking. So I started looking at the human body as a system. I I went online and I don't trust any health gurus or any any experts really in anything I do because I know all experts are biased or all gurus have their own biases. So I wanted to look into the research and the studies and see what what actually works and how this thing really plays out to better understand it myself. So I went to PubMed, which is an online research database for health studies and articles. And I started studying first my condition and then I went into inflammatory disease and um, everything that goes on with low-level inflammation. I started looking at digestion and the gut and the gut-brain axis and many other things. And I devised and designed myself a healing protocol based on the research that I read, which consisted of stress management techniques, including meditation. It included sleeping more, by the way. <laughs> no novel it, concept, right? Yeah. Sometimes we forget what's kind of key. Then uh, I also designed a nutritional protocol that was an anti-inflammatory diet protocol, basically, that was designed to lower inflammation and protect from inflammatory compounds and environmental factors. And uh, several other things, including moderate exercise, but not too much because that's also can also be a contributing factor. When I started doing this, I realized very quickly that to be able to keep up with changes in lifestyle, which was pretty drastic, you have to have some way to reward yourself and make sure that you're you keep on doing what you do. So many people, they start a diet or something, but then they relapse to their old habits. And one of the keys for me was quantified self. So I started measuring things. I started using different variables and lab tests, and I was able to do urine tests even at home and uh, some blood tests. I look at my genetics and many other things. So Timu, if you don't mind, I just want to stop you right there. So when you're looking at this anti-inflammation protocol, some of the foods that people consume these days do result in inflammation. When you were doing some of your initial tests, did you have things like food sensitivity and tests involved or were there just, you know, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, those kind of things? I did also look at food sensitivities. Mm -hmm. I looked at allergies through labs. Mm -hmm. So IgG and IgE. And I was also looking at blood biomarkers for inflammation like C-reactive protein, high-sensitive C-reactive protein. I was looking at metrics that are related to the gut itself that can be used to diagnose and understand better things like ulcers, for example, without uh, colonoscopy. So there are some new tests. So there was many things that I was looking into. I was also looking at nutritional status. I was looking at kidney function, liver function, cholesterol levels, blood sugar values, many, many things. Uh -huh. So I was, I was basically all in. I was looking at so many things. And I was also looking at my own activity, how much, how much I sleep, stress. I was uh, also measuring that. And now consider that this was five years ago. So, uh, so that ring on your finger... The aura ring didn't exist yet, so you're measuring no. stress in other ways, right? No, no. Many of these variables were not available in the local market, so mm -hmm. I had to order them directly from manufacturers. Many of them were early-stage startups that are, were making them available for the consumers. So many of the lab tests, I mean, all, all that, I had to actually circumvent the existing healthcare system, and I went to another country 
get those measurements done and so on. So I did genetic testing. I did look at the gut microbiome. Uh, so I was I was looking into a lot of novel tests and technologies just to get an idea of the black box that I'm in. And that was kind of the key of all this measuring was to kind of make this visible. So when I was doing interventions and things, suddenly I was getting data and that was the reward mechanism through which I started to slowly understand what actually has an effect. So, and, and also it helped me to keep uh, continuing. Even if you subjectively don't feel anything, if you look at many of the vital biomarkers, you see improvements from your dietary changes or, or you see your sleep improving, for example. It's a good good reason to continue once you kind of get this kind of data. So that's what it was for me. Also, I did genetic testing and I realized that from disease risk point of view, many of the kind of lifestyle factors that I was living were contributing into increased risk factors in my case. For example, increased risk for diabetes, increased risk for stomach cancer and, you know, many things. So the genetic testing was an eye-opener also that I started understanding that even though I've been played certain cards, it doesn't mean that I have to play them. Mm-hmm. So through epigenetics, through gene expression, you can silence some of the uh, malignant genes and many of those come back to your lifestyle choices really. So that was an ad- additional motivation to continue. So when I started this protocol, after three months I was feeling just fine. I was healed and I was able to do all the lifestyle changes at once because I was doing all the measuring and so I was running myself like I was running a company really. I was like looking at the key performance indicators and <laughs> metrics and uh, and all those things that people look in business. So people are accountable for what they do at the workplace, but they are not accountable for themselves. So what I was kind of building was a way for me to be accountable for myself. And with these numbers, I was able to kind of understand also what I was improving. And I mean, you can run, for example, a marathon, but if you don't have the time, how do you know from one uh, performance to another if you're improving or not? So that's why we do measuring. and. Mm-hmm. And um, we measure our companies, but do we measure ourselves? So often people ask me, like, isn't that stressful? Like, may that be counterproductive, you know, that if you measure yourself too much, like, is it is it really increasing your life quality and all that? Come on. I, I think there is probably worse things to focus your attention to uh, than uh, numbers that are related to health. And if that becomes an obsession... That's a pretty good obsession to have, by the way. But in the end, it's not necessarily something about having a Calvinistic, almost materialistic tool value. So numbers don't have to be, in this case, something that are curing disease or improving performance. They can be a way for you to become aware of who you are and what you are doing. So what I've said is that biohacking is an modern approach to enlightenment so it helps you to pay attention to very present moment and your relationship to it if it's true numbers and technologies that kind of make you become aware of what you eat and how you sleep and recover and how do you how you do your work great i mean that's what it ultimately can be it's a way for expressing yourself so biohacking as much as it is a science of looking at scientific papers and doing measurements and interventions and figuring out what works and whatnot. It's also an art. It's an art of living. And 
it's super complex when it comes to being human. And you can try to isolate single variables. Good luck with it. I mean, the dietary changes that I did, of course, I changed almost everything. I reduced intake of uh, fats that are not good, that are inflammatory. Uh, I, I reduced the consumption of processed foods. Uh, I increased the amount of vegetables and all that. I mean, all that research that has come out, but I was not testing single variables. I was just throwing a lot of good hypotheses on the problem. So I think when you are trying to change something, let's say you try to improve your sleep, instead of doing one thing at a time and measuring if it has an effect, you just throw six, seven things that based on science and research is pretty has high likelihood of doing something. And uh, the likelihood that those will have a compound effect, that they will together contribute to a paradigm shift, just becomes greater. And that's kind of what it boils down to when it comes to holistic health and treating yourself in a holistic way is that, I mean, there is no single like silver bullet. There is no one thing that you should do and you will build, you know, big muscles or you will recover like a Wolverine or you will perform like, um, I don't know, Usain Bolt, Usain Bolt or uh, <laughs> Warren Buffett at the stock market. It's not like that. You know, it's a compound effect of many different things. And the best we have had in science was reductionism. We broke things down into single variables. We look at what is the gene. But then we realized that it's a connection of different genes mm -hmm. and th their connection with the environment that that's more complex. It's not a single blood value. I mean, in medicine, we look at total cholesterol and blood sugar value as if it is some kind of absolute truth about your health. But where does diabetes start? You know, it's it's not a single variable. It's it's a gradient of things. It's It's a complex disease. It's very hard to put a finger where it starts. I mean, every country has different reference ranges and values and eventually it's a doctor who does the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, and even looking at diabetes, you can't just look at uh, blood sugar value. You should look at uh, inflammatory biomarkers mm -hmm. and heart function, many other things. And, you know, what biohacking really is, is to become aware of this complexity and not to get lost in single variables, but also understand kind of what might be the art of living. Like what are the things that you can adopt that actually have an impact into what you do and be conscious about what you do. So for me, biohacking, let's say going to sleep is not biohacking, but consciously preparing yourself for sleep, for optimal sleep, that's biohacking. And everyone has their own approach to it. Mm -hmm. But the more you use evidence, the more you use metrics, the more objective you can be in uh, what interventions you are doing and uh, if those will have an effect. But in the end, things like placebo effect is a real effect. I mean, it's a measurable effect. It's a, it's a clinically measurable effect. But we are not talking about placebo here. We are talking about something greater that actually, you know, takes into account the science and evidence and all that, not just trying things, but doing those things consciously mm -hmm. and eliminating things that don't necessarily serve you. There, there is no single path. And, and what I've learned along with this work that everyone needs to find their own art of living, how they live their life and how they get things done. Timo, you, you mentioned many good points in there. And one of the reasons why I reached out to you, Timo, was the fact that your background story resonates very well with mine. I started in biohacking because I was looking for that extra edge to get that one leg up over my competitors so that I could get that bonus, right? And I ended up at the age of 30 
which wasn't that long ago, getting diagnosed with heart disease. Uh, it turns out that I was flying two to three times a week, transferring time zones. I was in Europe 12 times a year, living in Singapore at the time, United States five times a year, and I wasn't sleeping. I was getting four hours of sleep. I was eating the wrong diet. And really, what you said about the genetics and how it really all starts there, but it can help you plot a map in terms of your, your life and really taking a systems approach to addressing those concerns, but really optimizing your, your living, or as you described, an art of living, it, it really resonates with me. So thank you very much for sharing that story. I think many of us have a similar story like that to share. Mm -hmm. Like as humans, we are not perfect. We do mistakes. And when we get excited about something, we get our sympathetic nervous systems on an overdrive and we think we are living our dreams and we are going a a hundred miles an hour and we just like do things almost in an obsessive manner. We we sometimes forget what it means to be a human, that you are not like uh, infinitely uh, immortal, but Mm -hmm. but you're human and and there's all these factors that you pay for in the end and all everything is an investment really and everything is consuming something uh, and i see a lot of people who get into biohacking either they are people who have crossed the edge and they got some issue that they're dealing with that they they want to fix or they are people who are looking at it purely from a performance improvement perspective so but in the end i see that there is more of those people who are seeking for a solution in it to their everyday problems. Maybe they have fatigue. Maybe they feel like they need a few extra hours and they get excited about the ideas like drinking a Soylent or something else mm-hmm. like to reduce the amount of time that they spend on eating or having a bulletproof coffee and kicking ass all day long without eating. <laughs> but I mean, all of those have everything that works also has a kind of a downside to it there mm-hmm. is this concept of yin yang you know the the golden road and the balance of things in the universe that is uh teached in asia and i i think that's where the, the beef really is like as much as with biohacking we're looking for better faster stronger if you take a bunch of smart drugs and you know you just stimulate your brain and you do all the biohacks so that you can sleep less and you can run like like a battery in the end uh, you're paying for something maybe you are shortening your lifespan you could with biohacking you could reduce the damage and impact so you can do damage control Mm -hmm. certainly but uh, many of those things that are actually making you perform are increasing your heart rate your heart is a muscle it's a mechanical system it wears out you know you have a certain number of heartbeats in your life and Obviously, you can damage the whole system and uh, reduce that even more. You can probably also bounce back from a lot, a lot of damage that you've done. But in the end, even if you do everything right, the reason why we live at maximum around 120 years old boils down to mechanical issues with the heart. So the aorta is something, it's like a rubber band. It expands like a rubber band. And as you age, it stiffens and it expands. And what happens is you lose pressure in microveins slowly. The first organs to take a hit from that are the kidneys and the brain. And if you avoid getting kidney failure or neurodegenerative disease, in the end, it's it's a heart attack. (laughs) So uh, we haven't yet found a way to deal with this. So if you remove the heart surgically and you put a machine in place of it, which they've done, 
uh, these people live a maximum of 60 years. And it turns out that machines, although they can you know, do work on a constant basis, they can't maintain the pressure in the microveins that the intricate system, the human body can. So once you lose the pressure, you get damage elsewhere in the body. And you can see that in elderly people, you can see it in, in their hands and so on, that they have like their, their veins start to break up. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there is a bunch of other factors that contribute to this. Um, so Aubrey de Grey is, is one of these longevity researchers uh, who has a great TED talk about uh, some of those factors. But the, in the end, we die. And uh, then the question is, what's the you know meaning of living like? Uh, what do you, What is the contribution you want to make? And at the end of the day, what do you value? Like, do you value a huge number on your bank account or a quality of life? Do you value getting so many projects done or that you do those projects consciously and you're present while doing it and you interact with people, not in a stressful manner, but in a in a kind and conscious manner? I think those are the things that really are key when it comes to living long enough that you don't get any crippling diseases. That would be great. I mean, not to end up in a wheelchair or, or with dementia or something like this. So all those things you can, in a way, prevent by being conscious about some of the decisions you do. But in the end, you can't really avoid being hit by a car or getting a viral disease that just cracks your immune being system. Being struck by lightning or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So every, I mean, I think the talk that Steve Jobs gives to freshmen from uh, this is know, some the, university. The Stanford University commencement speech. Exactly. That's a great talk and it's a key talk because what he's talking about in that particular speech is what you wake up every morning to do when you're looking at yourself from a mirror. Who do you see? That's a key question. When it comes to biohacking and all this, what it gives you is strategies. It gives you tools that you can apply in life situations because mm -hmm. obviously we will have deadlines. You will have to sleep four hours a night. You, you're not going to be able to do eight hours a night until the end of your time. There is things that you have to push yourself through. And those are the situations where being aware of how to manage stress and how to run yourself optimally and what kind of decisions to make when you get food or if you're crossing several time zones, how do you like make sure your body is adjusting mm -hmm. to the new time zone? All those things are biohacking and it's just a more conscious way of living. And it's a lifelong learning process, really. I hope, I, I, I would hope that I was teach some of these things that I know today when I was a kid so that I could avoid a lot of crap that I <laughs> end up doing. But in the end, like all of us have to learn through mistakes also and Absolutely. Uh, through practice. And that's how you kind of master. And if you look at any of the health gurus out there on the internet, many of them have a story like you and me. You know, mm -hmm. they, they just burned themselves up. You know, they, they just destroyed their bodies. And, and that's why they got interested in health. Luckily for them, not too late. For some people, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's um, I think, is a waste of uh, human energy. Absolutely. If you don't mind, Timu, I just want to segue a bit because what we want to talk about here today is the work environment because you touched on a lot of this already. But looking at a typical person's workplace, you know, my myself, I'm fortunate enough that I control where I work, when I work. Uh, just based on the business that I've designed. I imagine somewhat of a similar situation for you. 
But for others, they may need to go to a common workplace every single day. They may have an office. They work for a corporation. There are different variables that come up during the day, whether it's stress or the environment that they may have to manage. Do you mind just touching on some of the, well, first, the problems of typical workplaces that people may want to be aware of, and then we can talk a little bit about how they could potentially biohack their workplace afterwards. Totally. So there is many variables. <laughs> so uh, many. Let, let, let me start from, uh, let's, let's focus on the physical working environment. So many office spaces, when it comes to ergonomics, are not really designed by experts. So what I would get myself as quickly as possible is some kind of a standing desk. Uh, many companies, because of reasons related to money and investments, you need to have a doctor's uh, diagnosis or something that you actually need something like that mm -hmm. to upgrade your desk. So get the diagnosis or just hack you know, your table. Get, get something that you can put on top of the table that makes it a standing desk so that you don't have to be sitting all day long. Uh, because sitting is a main contributor to a lot of disease that we deal with today, like diabetes and cardiovascular disease and, and so on. So it, it contributes to a lot of metabolic issues. So even if you do run every morning, if, even if you do, do go to the gym like two, three times a week, if you're sitting all day long, uh, you're not getting the same benefits as someone who is in a bar standing all the time, just walking, ar walk, walking around and doesn't do any of that exercise. So mm -hmm. you're reducing the amount of sitting is key. So how do you do that um, when people are sitting in meetings? Is that you schedule standing meetings or you schedule walking meetings? Um, you might be surprised how many people are kind of open to the idea of just like having a walk. Uh, and that's, that's very useful. I would even go to the gym with someone. That's what I've done. I would go for, uh, uh, for a park or I might go foraging, you know, just invite people to do stuff with you. And, and that's one way. Uh, you might have rules also, like every time you speak to the phone, you stand up. Uh, so that's one thing. Now, when it comes to lights and, and all that, usually office environments are quite, it's almost like uh, some kind of clinical environment, like almost <laughs> it's like a, a factory. Fl fluorescent lights, right? So it's yeah, uh, they're it's, just beaming down on you all the time. It's horrible. Figure out how to turn that light into more undirect light, maybe find a window don't put your computer in front of the window but kind of on the side it's easier for your eyes um, if if you're looking away from the window a little bit but you you get some natural light in talking about the light cycle i mean the computer screens and mobile phones and led lights and all that those are producing wavelengths of light related to daylight now that's great during the day wakes you up in the morning but it's not good in the evening because it inhibits your uh, melatonin production and uh, it, it messes up things related to the circadian rhythm. That's where the Nobel Prize was given recently related to this uh, uh, chronobiology. Yeah, the period genes, right? Yes, absolutely. So what I would recommend people to do is to install a software like Iris or Eflux. There's a few different apps that help you to to kind of change the light that your monitor is sending. On your phone, you should turn on the night mode. And there's also hacks that you can do on an Apple iPhone on the accessibility features to actually turn the whole screen red if you want uh, so that you can put mm. some color filters on it. Yeah, Timo, just on that, uh, the founder, Daniel Georgiev, has been on the podcast before. And I know that he's also got mobile applications for Iris, which I use every single day. They're perfect and 
very useful. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And um, when it comes to other sources of light, you might want to get like some blue light blocking glasses or something like this. Uh, but in the in the end, like some people are more uh, sensitive to these things, and some people are less. So kind of knowing where you put your uh, stakes is important. Uh, what I find, especially in winter time and so on, when it's darker, I like to use a daylight lamp in the morning. Yeah, how do you deal with this in Finland, by the way, in terms of light? It's just, is it do you have a artificial light that brings you a broad spectrum, or how how do you deal with this when it's twenty three hours of dark? during the day. So it's important to get the light stimulation th as the first thing in the morning. So I use a daylight lamp right mm -hmm. in the morning, 20, 30 minutes, and that's it. that's it. Or go outside if possible. Actually, from a chronobiology perspective, it's more important to get the light stimulation at the same time in the morning instead of going to sleep at the exactly the same time. Mm -hmm. So so that's, that's what I would recommend uh, kind of doing. Do you have a recommendation on a brand for a daylight lamp? Not really. I use uh, I have some Philips wake up okay. lights and some other things. Uh, look at the spectrum of light that it's as high uh, looks as possible, and uh, how it reproduces the spectrum. You probably find some tests for that. Mm -hmm. um, out of my uh, memory, I can't recommend any single device. But I also have at my office here. I have the Philips Hue lights, so I can actually adjust the lights. Osram also develops adjustable light, so you can change the spectrum of light that the lights are sending, and I've linked that to daylight. And actually, at winter time, I am extending the day. Mm -hmm. So, although it gets dark outside, I'm actually cranking it up a little bit, so it's it's daylight a little bit longer. Okay. And and like ultimately, I schedule my summer vacation for winter. So <laughs> I just go for five weeks in the Mediterranean or Asia or something like this. Mm -hmm every winter so when it's darkest that's when i go and when it's summer here that's not when i travel i'm not i'm, I'm working you know mm -hmm. no one's calling me or bothering me so yeah perfect so you touched on lighting and sitting any other well i'm sure there's yeah. many others we can talk about yeah air air quality so mm -hmm. if you don't filter the air you become a filter i think you can easily invest even though your company may not uh you might put a hundred or two hundred bucks into a HEPA filter. Mm -hmm. So a air filter is those come, you know, small, pretty small ones, but they will filter out all the microparticles from air. They often have a built-in ionizer, so it cap captures also more from the air and also produces some negative ions, uh, which is good. But in the end, also bring in some plants into the working environment is key because plants can filter out volatile organic compounds that are secreted by paints and cleaning agents and all that. So those are some of the things that you can immediately do in your working environment um, by looking at the ergonomics, air quality, light, and maybe even filtering water. So maybe you want to get like a Brita filter or something like this on your desk and uh, you're drinking a few liters of water per day. And it becomes pr quite easy if you have water available like, right next to you. Many people don't like that's why they don't drink enough. So if you just have the bottle next to you, you probably drink more or just drink tea. Like what I like to do, like I'm just like having some tea throughout the day and making sure you, you're adequately hydrated. Another thing that I find problematic in working environments is humidity. Often it's too dry because of uh, air conditioners are going on a on a hyperdrive or it's winter and it that's why it gets low in terms of humidity lack of humidity can really increase kind of um, 
uh, inflammation on the mucous membranes and uh, ir- general irritation in breathing and, and nose and everywhere. So when it comes to that, I mean, there is simple devices that you can get that will increase the humidity in the room. I travel sometimes with a device that you can screw your own bottle, like a water bottle into. I just buy a bottle of water and I just mm-hmm. screw this thing for a night and it uh, secretes some some humi- humidity into the room. And that makes you sleep more sl- soundly. And I have this thing going on right next to my desk as well. So yeah, th- those are some of the things uh, immediately that you probably have some control over, even though uh, everything might be otherwise standardized. Another thing that I want to mention is uh, noise blocking headphones. So many companies have now moved into all these open space working places and there's a lot of loud noises and people running around. So I would recommend putting a clock, like a traditional like timer on your desk and say that you are not supposed to interrupt me for any reason <laughs> unless the building is on fire until that timer is on zero. So uh, you might want to do a hack like that to make sure that people understand that you, tr- you want to concentrate on something. So like it's a strict Pomodoro almost, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just make sure, you know, 20 minutes inter- uninterrupted time as many of those cycles during the day. Maybe get a timer for 20 minutes. Now, the other thing is the uh, noise-canceling headphones. And there is also just like small earpieces that you can have. And they reduce ambient noise greatly. You don't even have to listen to music, but they will magically remove noise from your surroundings. I use those in airplanes all the time with all the yelling children and drunken travelers and so on. So I just like want to relax. And what I like to put sometimes running is a service called brain.fm. Mm-hmm. Brain.fm is kind of producing this almost ambient soundscapes, but there is no melody that is repeating itself. So it's kind of constantly generating a track that doesn't have a very recognizable pattern. And so your brain doesn't start to follow that music, but it gets into more into a, something called the default mode, mm-hmm. which is great for creativity and just getting things done. I like that when I'm going for a meeting, so I might jump into a car, uh, like a taxi or Uber or something, and I just listen to a wide noise or binaural beats or brain.fm. And in the end, like when I go to the meeting, I'm fully relaxed and it resets my brain. So that's what I like to do sometimes when I commute. Like 50% of the time I'm listening to podcasts so that I'm learning new stuff. And 50% of the time I'm just like recovering. I'm just like resetting my nervous system in a way. And uh, I, I do that through auditory means. And sometimes I just close my eyes and take some deep breaths. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's important to find the balance. This is great, Tumu. It's a lot of great information here. Uh, just one more question before we kind of get into the final standard questions that I ask everybody. But you've mentioned that you've dealt with stress in your own personal life as a serial entrepreneur. What are some of the tips and strategies? You talked a little bit about Brain.fm. You talked a little bit about breathing. But on a day-to-day basis, let's say you know, sometimes if you're working for a big company, you can't really choose who you sit next to, if you will or the people that you work with, how would you hack the stress of you know the day-to-day? Just quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not really. So if you really want to build your career, don't do that. Um, uh, but in the end, like uh, stress management is a learnable skill. Mm-hmm. It, some people 
are more prone to stress than others. Uh, yeah, there is some, you know, individual differences in genetics and all that. that you know, there's even a diagnosis almost for highly sensitive people. But in the end, it's a learnable skill. It's not the amount of work. It's not really the environment. It's not sometimes even the physical stress or the mental stress. It's the way how you relate to it, how you mm-hmm. deal with it. That's the key. And the way to deal with it when it comes to mental stress is meditation five minutes a day uh, in the morning uh, where you learn to not react to things and feelings that's what mindfulness teaches really is once you once you notice that your attention is diverging you just return back to paying attention to your breathing or something or if uh, if you have a idea or something you're you don't get attached to you don't react to it and that helps when you're in situations where uh, you get stressed, you very easily start to react to things and that kind of increases your heart rate, you stop breathing and you kind of get too excited. That's when it's important to kind of find a little bit of distance to what you're dealing with so that you can better evaluate how you react. And uh, so that's one thing that I would recommend doing. It, it might sound like, you know, not too much, but even trying like five minutes a day, something like Headspace app and doing it on a constant basis, you might see and notice difference in your day, how you react to things. And it's only five minutes I- investment. Mm. Now, another thing is breathing. And learning some breathing techniques is key because looking at the autonomous nervous system, the only organ that really you have voluntary control over is your breathing. And the breathing can influence the, the, the vagus nerve uh, that comes from the brain to the gut and it, it um, affects your heart rate, for example. And um, so you look at the autonomous nervous system, it can be split into the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system response. Sympathetic nervous system response is when you browse emails and social media and you run from meeting to another and you get your work done and you look for a mate. Now, parasympathetic nervous system response, which is the rest and digest instead of fight or flight is activated when you walk in a forest, when you meditate, take deep breaths, when you sleep, when you take a nap, when you have just eaten. Uh, so there's many of these many of these things that can really increase your parasympathetic nervous system response. Factoring in more of those moments into your day is key. And what I have here is the Garmin watch. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, you know for business people, but this it, this has first beat algorithms in it. And FirstBeat is a Finnish company that has developed the algorithms for heart rate variability and stress measuring. So this device can tell you uh, throughout the day how much you're spending time in sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system state. So it gives you an idea. The order ring does it only during the night and Mm -hmm. the new version that is coming out does it while you are... um, uh, napping or uh, meditating or things like this but if you want to have like continuous measuring i would recommend that Uh, also looking at something like your resting heart rate uh, is also kind of average resting heart rate is key it's one of the indicators of longevity just as regular feedbit even you know could provide you that information Mm -hmm. or just doing that measuring in the morning with a heart rate monitor so that you get an idea it can give you an idea of mounting stress if you're getting more into chronic stressful situations. It can also tell you about your general fitness and health. So what happens in athletes is when they train for stressful situations, there is a adaptation uh, where the heart rate is actually lower when they are in a rested state. And 
often this kind of stimulation where you're stressing yourself a little bit is actually good because it helps you to become more resilient. So I'm not recommending anyone to you know focus only on relaxing, but really kind of like how do you turn stress into an ally? So mm-hmm. if you exercise, don't overexercise. Exercise enough that you know you get the the physiological benefits, the hormonal benefits, the biochemical benefits from exercise. The same applies for work and stimulating yourself that you get the stimulus for building new connections in your brain and in your body and uh, making sure that that stays in a in a balanced way um, often when you get handicapped on a certain area don't move enough um, you spend too much time in your brain or you know you're spending too much time in a sympathetic nervous system response instead of parasympathetic nervous system response you get all kinds of health issues along mm-hmm. with it so balance is key and, and that's kind of one thing now if you want to get into some nutritional interventions for stress management there is i mean a lot of people at the workplace they are drinking coffee like they're just doping themselves up they're stimulating themselves up they drink tea and coffee and smoke cigarettes but what i would recommend looking into is something called adaptogenic herbs mm-hmm. adaptogenic herbs are herbal compounds or, or plants that have functions that help your body to adapt to stress that's where the term also adaptogen comes from so usually they are safe to use so they don't have too much side effects but they contribute to a nervous system balance or cardiovascular system Mm -hmm. balance and um, these have been studied and used for for a long time in different cultures uh, what I like to use here in the Nordics is something called rhodiola, rhodiola rosa, mm-hmm. also called rose root. It's a great adaptogenic herb. In India, there is also something called ashwagandha. Ashwagandha has a lot of studies for its anti-inflammatory properties and it's kind of relaxing a little bit, but it also kind of balances out things, smooths out things uh, really nicely. What about reishi? Yeah, reishi. Reishi is a medicine mushroom in the Chinese medicine system, one of the highest valued ones and it has a lot of immune system modulating properties so it actually helps your body to produce more immune system cells and uh, to, to improve your immune system response uh, in, in an event of an infection for example but it also has a has a balancing effect on the nervous system so that's what the Chinese would use uh, the Chinese would also use ginseng uh, ginseng more of the older varieties are good. The younger ones are more stimulating. The older ones are, are usually more balanced. Um, but you have to be careful with that. It's kind of none of these things I think are necessarily good for everyday use, especially ginseng. It's kind of occasionally when I like to do that. But many of these things build tolerance uh, also while, while you use, use them. So, uh, oh, another favorite of mine is something called Shisandra. Shisandra is great. That's a new one for me. Yeah, Shisandra is awesome. It, it has a pretty awesome taste. I like to make an extract out of it with uh, vegetable glycerin. Anyway, so I'm, I'm almost like a chemist here. Uh, uh, so, so when it comes to the effects that you would expect, they are not going to be as visible as something like drinking a coffee. You won't necessarily feel an immediate stimulation. You might feel an immediate stimulation from something like ginseng, you might feel an immediate, stimula- immediate stimulation from something like cordyceps. Cordyceps is another medicinal mushroom that has adaptogenic properties. It, by the way, increases oxygen intake, if I remember correctly, like 20 or 30%, which is great for exercise. But anyway, so what, what, what these are are more subtle. So when you get overstimulated, they kind of dampen up 
your uh, or stimulation. If you're under-stimulated, they will kind of increase the stimulation a little bit. So it kind of helps you to stay in a in a in a balanced equilibrium. And and I like to do these things when I do give presentations or I run from one meeting to another. I have really hard time do, dealing with something. So so that's when I like to yeah, increase my intake or something like ashwagandha. And uh, when I'm in a conference, that's when I like to have some shisandra. So some people drink alcohol for this, but I think that's a pretty crappy kind of stress management strategy. The only way how, how I like to use alcohol is really as tinctures with adaptogenic herbs. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I take a few shots of alcohol extracts. And that's my alcohol. Yeah, it's um, you know moving away from that caffeine to alcohol sort of life cycle that certain people develop and into something a little bit more healthier and sustainable. These are all fantastic tips. Thank you, Timu. So the last three questions I have are the three questions that I ask everybody that come on the show. The first one, what is the number one tool or technology that you use to become more superhuman yourself? I think one of the key techniques for anyone really is the way how they recover and how they how they sleep because if you look at building anything in your life or going to the gym and building something there growth doesn't happen during stimulus growth happens during rest and recovery so when you when you are learning something new growth doesn't happen at the moment when you learn things it happens during the sleep when these things that you have learned throughout the day get consolidated into long-term memory the same for gym you know uh, going six times to the gym you probably get better results by going two or three times and focusing on recovery so recovery in different ways also the way how i control inflammation uh, how i improve my sleep and how i take breaks i think that's the art uh, that i brought more consciously into my working life because before that i was just like trying to do more and more and more and that's not not necessary way to get the results so second question is what is the one piece of advice you want to give to somebody who's interested in improving their cognition in terms of just increasing their cognition and becoming more superhuman? When it comes to the brain, understanding that it's part of a system, a lot of people, they, you know, they live here, but in the end, what contributes to your brain function is your whole body. And when you fix your gut, often you fix your attention, you fix your mood and you fix your uh, performance when it comes to cognitive performance. All the building blocks for neurotransmitters, uh, they don't come from thin air. You know, the body is biochemical factory that's producing things out of the food that you eat and it's consuming things as you stress yourself out. And 90% of the neurotransmitter serotonin that is linked to not just uh, lack of that is linked to depression. Uh, but also actually it's um, high levels is linked to leadership. Most of that stuff is produced in the gut. So 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut. Uh, so I would look definitely first into changing my diet and, and fixing my gut uh, before I would look into any other way of brain optimization. Mm-hmm. After that, you know, taking some supplements and, and so on that help you to kind of oil the biological machinery a little bit further that's when they have more effect. And um, so then you might look into something like lion's mane or, or the adaptogenic herbs. I think blood sugar values and make, making sure that those are balanced and maintained is absolutely key to cognitive performance. Because if you're anxious, you're hungry, you feel that you know, you're kind of 
need something, but you don't know what. That's usually a, a consequence of, of blood sugar fluctuation. And uh, finding the foods that help you to balance blood sugar values and kind of help you to be more focused throughout the day is key. And it often also starts from what you put in your mouth in the morning. Last question. Best book on peak performance that you've read? And we'll get to your book in a second, but you know, best book aside from the one you authored on peak performance. Oh, there's so many of them. Um, I really like Peter Drucker's work. Mm. Uh, really, kind of like classical uh, management theory on how to become a knowledge worker and how to you know deal with things. Uh, Some of his discussions on time management are fantastic. Absolutely. Like sometimes we have to visit classics to better understand our future. And uh, many of the things have already been said. Uh, so I think he's a good source. And he also said that what gets measured gets managed. Mm -hmm. And that's also the case when it comes to optimizing yourself. Absolutely. Well, Tamu, that's really all the questions I had for today. I want to say thank you so much for everything that you do. And specifically that biohackers handbook, I recommend it to everybody that I know who's interested in this field. I love the process that you guys go through. And frankly, it's it's a battle that I'm fighting as well in terms of just having the evidence-based material, the science-based material in order to back up all of these health you know, changes that Thanks. we're making. So uh, thank you so much for all the work that you do and thank you for taking the time to speak to all of the, the superhumans out there today. My absolute pleasure. The, why, the reason why we do this is because we would do this anyway and just producing it in a format that other people can benefit from is the ultimate service uh, to everyone else in humanity. So we hope that with the work that we do, uh, as many people out there as possible could actually avoid some of the pitfalls that we have done and... Uh, not to be guided or misguided by uh, information advice that doesn't really work. So we've been trying really hard to find out the stuff that uh, has the greatest efficacy and we continue doing that work. Thank you very Perfect. much. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Timu, and you have an excellent and epic day. Awesome. You as well. Hey there, Superhuman. Thank you for tuning into yet another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. If you have time, could you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast from and drop a five-star rating in with some comments? It really helps get the word out on not only Precision Health, but also Decoding Superhuman in general. I would love to see your comments, and I look forward to hearing from you more. Have an epic day.